Chapter Four of Mystery at Number Six. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Mystery at Number Six by Augusta Hewell Seaman. Chapter Four: Many Speculations and One Certainty. In the sweet-scented darkness of the hotel porch that evening, Bernice and Sidney discussed and rediscussed the strange happenings of the afternoon. Bernice and her parents were staying at the little hotel temporarily, while a bungalow was being found for their occupation near that of Sidney's parents. A South Florida phosphate town is a curious mushroom growth, designed only for those engaged in the working of the phosphate mine or factory, and the most recent comers must always put up with the accommodations of the little hotel, till their own bungalows are either constructed or vacated by departing occupants. The two young people were much divided in their opinions in regard to their new acquaintance. "'But you can't deny that she's certainly very unlike those other two that she lives with,' asserted Bernice for the half-dozenth time. "'Yes, she's different, I admit,' replied the more cautious Sidney. "'At least she's very different from the cracker woman. How different she is from Jerry I can't tell, as he had so little to say. They tell me he's very intelligent, though.' "'But what's the meaning of her being so mysterious, and wanting us not to let them know when we come? I warrant they're not kind to her, and she wants to get away from them somehow.' Bernice was a little irritated at Sidney's inability to see the thing from her point of view. "'If she wanted very much to get away, all she'd have to do would be to run off and give herself into the hands of the authorities. If she could prove that they've ill-used her or anything like that, no one would make her go back to them. No, if she wanted that, she'd have had plenty of opportunity.' replied Sidney, skeptically. "'But perhaps she doesn't know enough, especially if she's lived in the Everglades all her life. Did you notice what good English she used? Hardly a single grammatical mistake. Where did she ever learn it?' "'That I can't figure out, unless Jerry is some sort of scholar, which isn't likely. I know there are no schools in that wilderness, and not a soul lives there except the Seminole Indians, and they're an ignorant lot. They are the only really wild Indians left in the United States.' Once in a while they come into Miami or Fort Lauderdale, or even Kissimmee, to trade, but most of them can hardly speak a word of English. No, that is a puzzle, Sidney had to admit. Well, it isn't the only one, by any means, insisted Bernice. How do you account for the way she acted when you spoke of Jerry as her father? She was positively indignant, though she admitted that she called him uncle. Calling people uncle doesn't mean a thing down south here. Every other old darky is uncle or aunt something or other. "'But anyhow, he's told people she was his niece, and it may be really true.' "'I don't believe it,' cried Bernice. "'She's no half-breed. "'She has dark hair and a dark sunburnt complexion, "'but her eyes are the bluest things I ever saw, perfectly beautiful. "'I'll never believe she has a drop of Indian blood in her.' "'Then will you tell me how she came to be in the Everglades at all?' demanded Sidney, rather exasperated that Bernice should try to make a mystery out of what he thought could be easily explained. "'Her blue eyes came from her white ancestry.' that doesn't prove anything, and no one but an Indian or part Indian like Jerry could possibly have lived in the Everglades all their lives, so there. But Bernice chose to ignore this retort. What do you suppose was the reason that they don't like her to have much to do with strangers, she mused. She even said they might move away if they thought she was trying to. That looks to me as if something was, well, queer about it. Don't you think so? It may or it mayn't be, acknowledged Sidney. How do you know that the girl isn't kind of queer herself and has sometimes made trouble for them by thinking she isn't treated just right and complaining of it to outsiders? 
I wouldn't blame them for putting some pressure on her in that case. Bernice, however, would have none of this argument. You may be three years older than I am, Sid, and pride yourself on your common sense and superior judgment, but if you can't see that there is something strange in that whole situation, and that that poor little thing isn't a mischief-maker or an, an idiot or anything like that, why, I give you up. And she marched away in a huff. But she came back in a minute or so to add, and she said her name was Delight. Do you suppose a half-breed Indian ever gave her that name? I noticed they didn't call her that, anyway, Sidney conceded. Cheer up, old girl. I didn't mean to discourage you, really. But you mustn't get a lot of romantic notions about an ignorant little Evergrade cracker or Indian, whatever she is. Tell you what, though, I'm willing to play Sherlock Holmes with you as often as you fancy, if you think it worth while to run the truth to earth. We'll go over there to number six any time you say, and work it out after the most approved Sherlockian methods. Only don't go and ask me to beard Jerry Sawgrass in his lair and forcibly demand that he'd present me with explanations. I draw the line at that. I fancy he could be rather formidable if he had provocation. Oh, Sid, will you? There's nothing I want half so much, hunting down this mystery, I mean. It has just taken hold of me somehow, and I can't get that poor little thing out of my mind. There was something so pathetic about her. When shall we go there again? Well, not too soon, conceded Sidney. If we've got to use all these precautions against being seen, I'd rather hate to be found spying in there, in case everything didn't go right, and Jerry got to prowling around or anything like that. I don't like that aspect of it any too much. It'd be right awkward. Let's wait a few days. Bernice and her impatience found it very hard to wait, and chafed at any delay. But the matter was decided for them, or rather they decided it themselves sooner than they had expected. On the following Saturday about noon, Bernice rushed over to her cousin's bungalow and found him raking the live oak leaves into neat piles in the sandy enclosure around his house. A mockingbird was lilting entrancingly nearby, and the warm air was drenched with the scent of orange blossoms. It was a heavenly day, but Bernice noticed none of these things. "'Oh, Sid!' she panted. "'Guess what I heard and saw. I happened to be in the general store getting something for Mother just now, and who should drive up?' in the funniest old wagon drawn by a little tired-out mule, but Jerry Sawgrass and his wife. She paused to see the effect on her cousin. "'Well, what of it?' he demanded, unmoved. "'I suppose they have to come to town sometimes to get supplies. Was the kid with them?' "'No, she wasn't,' went on Bernice, breathlessly. "'Jerry got out and came in the store and stood right next to me at the counter. He didn't seem to recognize me at all, and so I didn't say anything. He's so queer that I didn't like to, anyhow.' I heard him tell Mr. Caswell that they'd come in town for the day. He wanted to get supplies, and the missus wanted to go to the moving picture show in the afternoon. They probably won't get back till six or seven o'clock in the evening, especially with that pokey little mule. Here's our chance, Sid. Let's start right out in the car after the noon dinner and drive like mad over to number six. We can have the whole afternoon there without worrying about them. Don't you see? All right, agreed Sidney. There's no earthly reason why we shouldn't go to that old mine pool whenever we like. It isn't their property. I'll take my rod and lines to fish, and you can chum around with the kid as much as you like. As you say, it's perhaps the best opportunity. That afternoon, therefore, found them bowling along the asphalt road in the direction of number six, eager for their quest and all oblivious of the perfect Florida weather and surroundings. In the back of the car Sidney had a rod or two, and his fishing basket, and Bernice a number of trifles that she thought would please the strange and lonely dweller at the deserted farm. The way had never seemed so long, 
and when they turned off the asphalt road of traffic and into the ruddy, rough trail through the woods to the old mine-pool, it irked them sorely to have to slow down to ten or twelve miles an hour. It was two miles through the pine and scrub palmetto and young live oaks before they came in sight of the turquoise blue water of the pool. Hardly had they stopped the car when a little figure sprang out of the bushes. "'Oh, I thought you'd come. I knew you'd come,' she cried delightedly. "'I was sure you'd see them in town, and know that I was here alone.' Her simple faith in them was so touching that Bernice almost had a moment of panic in imagining what the girl would have felt if they had disappointed her. "'I've been here watching for you for ever so long,' Delight went on. It was curious to observe the difference in her manner, the lack of restraint of the previous visits, the simple pleasure in their mere presence with her. "'I'm going to fish,' declared Sidney, with true tact. "'You girls can amuse yourselves for a while, can't you?' They joyfully agreed, and he strolled off to whip the blue, placid water with his long line and reel, with more or less success. The girls, meanwhile, left alone, made rapid strides in getting better acquainted. "'Tell me,' demanded Bernice almost at once, "'how dare you tease that old alligator the way you did the other day? Weren't you afraid of him? You frightened me to death.' "'By the way, he isn't anywhere around now, is he?' And she glanced apprehensively at the pool. "'My, no, he's down in the mud,' smiled the girl. "'I tried to pull him out all this morning. He wouldn't come. "'You needn't be afraid of him.' With the ice thus broken, Bernice drew from her amazing accounts of her encounters with rattlers, alligators, and other dangerous denizens of the wilds, all of which she recounted as if they were the most ordinary affairs. After that she led Bernice off to a dense thicket, where she said she had something to show her, and to Bernice's horror exhibited a huge diamond-backed rattlesnake, coiled as if asleep. To her further horror she bent down and stroked it, with the utmost sang-froid, and then laughed a peal of merry amusement. "'It's nothing, see, only the skin. The rattler left it there some time ago.' Bernice sat down and gasped, weak with relief and astonishment. "'You are a wonder,' she cried. "'Is there anything you don't know about the wilds of Florida?' "'It's easy when you've grown up in them,' answered her companion, but her manner grew a trifle more evasive. At this point Bernice bethought herself of the things she had brought in the back of the car, and went to get them. "'I had some things at home I thought you might like,' she said half apologetically, and she presented her new friend first with a copy of one of her own favorite books. This was a wily move on her part, carefully thought out beforehand for she wanted to discover, without direct question, if possible, whether the girl could read and where she had learned. Delight's eyes fairly sparkled when she saw the book, and she seized upon it eagerly, and opening it at the first page she read the title aloud. "'Oh, you are good!' she exclaimed. "'I don't even own a book of my own. I haven't read anything since—' She stopped abruptly, as if reflecting on the advisability of disclosing something, then went on boldly, "'Not since I—' I went to school at Fort Lauderdale. She seemed to think this a very damaging disclosure, for she halted again as if in suspense. "'Oh, I thought you lived in the Everglades all your life,' commented Bernice quietly, trying not to exhibit a sign of the excitement she felt at this revelation. "'I have wondered how you managed to—to to go to school.' "'Fort Lauderdale isn't far from the edge of the glades,' explained Delight. "'That year—it was three years ago—Uncle Jerry was taking parties through the glades regularly, and our camp was on the New River, about five miles in from Fort Lauderdale. He was away so much, and I—I I wanted so to go to school. There was a little school near the edge of the town. I begged Juanetka to let me go, and finally she said yes. I paddled there every day, five miles in the canoe. I learned very quickly to read. 
That's what I wanted to do most. The teacher was good to me and gave me extra time. I could not go very regularly, for Uncle Jerry would come back, and then I dared not. He—he he didn't wish me to learn. He can't read himself. He thinks it is a waste of time for me, not necessary. Juanetka did not tell on me. He never knew. But at last the season for the tourists was over, and we went back to our old camp, way in the middle of the glades. I never got another chance to go to school, and I've never seen a book since. May I ask— "'Who was Wanetka?' asked Bernice, her curiosity at last getting the better of her caution. "'She? Oh, she was Uncle Jerry's Indian wife. She died two years after we were at Fort Lauderdale. She was very good to me. I—I I loved her.' A shade of sadness crept into her tones at the mention of this incident. Bernice longed madly to ask her whether the Indian woman was a relative, whether Jerry Sawgrass was a relative, and what the strange connection was— but she dared venture no further along that line just then. She was too cautious to frighten the girl by asking more confidences than Delight might choose to bestow. Accordingly, she turned the conversation by presenting her other offerings, a box of homemade fudge, and one of the latest magazines, profusely illustrated and filled with interesting short stories. The gifts were received with a very passion of gratitude, apparent enough, though Delight was not unduly demonstrative in her expression of it. While she was poring over the pictures, Bernice sat longing to ask some of the score or more of questions surging through her brain, yet still scarcely daring. But before she had a chance, Sidney came hurrying over to them. "'I just want to tell you that the, uh, uh, that Jerry and his wife are driving back. I went toward the road away and just happened to see them coming slowly, way in the distance, but I'm sure it's they. I don't know why they're coming now. It's quite early yet.' Instant consternation fell upon the two girls. Bernice wanted to fly and hide somewhere, and Delight got to her feet, swiftly gathering her new possessions in her arms. "'I'll go away,' she said a little breathlessly. "'Stay here, both of you. Just act, please, as if I hadn't been here, as if you hadn't seen me. There's no harm in your being at this place if I'm not with you. And besides, I want to—to to hide these things in a place I have, for my own things. I don't want them to be seen—over there.' She nodded her head in the direction of the house. "'Delight,' said Bernice, suddenly and impulsively, "'do you—are you afraid of—of of your uncle? Is he—well, unkind to you?' The girl opened her beautiful eyes wide with unfeigned astonishment. "'Unkind to me? Oh, I just reckon not. I—why, I am very fond of him.' She motioned them a hurried good-bye and slipped away into the undergrowth with the smooth and silent dexterity of which she seemed a perfect mistress. And when she was gone, Bernice and Sidney simply stared at each other with dropped jaws and blank expressions. "'Well, can you beat that last?' exploded Sidney at length. End of chapter 4